1: As Georgia's COVID-19 case numbers continue to soar, the warnings from public health leaders here continue to darken.
0: We are on a trajectory that brings us in metro Atlanta
1: toward a high concern for overwhelming our health systems yet again. Um, We're not there yet. But the debate over how best to keep from getting there has intensified, with leaders in some cities publicly confronting Governor Brian Kemp. Meanwhile, the governor and officials at every level in the state try to figure out how to adjust to a state budget with cuts that will affect us all. A lot to cover in this edition of The Political Breakfast, and we welcome you. I'm Dennis O'Hare. We're joined again by Republican strategist Brian Robinson, and Democratic strategist Theron Johnson. Gentlemen, welcome back. Thanks, Dennis. Hey, Dennis. Well, Governor Brian Kemp embarked on a statewide wear-a-mask fly-around tour this week, and the second leg even had the Surgeon General with him. This happened just as public health experts at Emory University and a group of healthcare workers urged, or one might say even begged, government leaders to make it mandatory for people to wear masks in public to stop the alarming spread of the coronavirus in Georgia. Brian, the warning is that if we don't do more than we're doing, we at least run the risk of overwhelming our hospital system. Now, you've said that Governor Kemp, from a political point of view, really can't reverse course on some of the reopening measures, but these numbers are really frightening. Does that give him more political room now to maybe pull back on some of the reopening, especially since some other governors, including some Republicans, have already done it?
0: I think he is striking the right balance here. In fact, he's doing exactly what I have discussed in recent weeks, I think, is the path forward for him. Yeah, I said, first of all, he is having to deal with civil unrest, is having to deal with police issues, protests, also having to deal with the session going on and getting the budget finished and getting hate crimes done. And what happened as soon as all of those things sort of slowed down or the session came to an end, he went straight back to messaging on COVID. And in fact, had an aggressive public relations campaign this week to spread the word about masks. They are putting it all over social media, doing a lot of media events to reach all 11 million Georgians to sound the alarm. I still don't think that there's any appetite with him, and he has said so explicitly this week, or with the public to go back to the business crippling economy killing lockdown that we had earlier this year. Even though, even though it worked, what we did in March and April and into May did help stem the spread of the disease.
1: But these and are the, record- The,
0: the problem, but we've we, we said this all along, the problem with the reopening wasn't the reopening of the economy, it was that people reacted to it as if they had been given clearance to return to normal behavior. And that's why this is spreading. What Governor Kemp is saying is, we cannot return to normal behavior. Stop doing dangerous activities that are super spreader
1: events. But there's nothing more economy killing than continued record numbers of cases, hospitalizations, and potentially, although it's a lagging indicator, deaths.
0: I don't know that it's more of an economy killer than uh, trying trying to find this hybrid middle ground here. Now, What Governor Kemp is trying to accomplish, I think what the president and other governors are trying to accomplish, is to keep our economy going while changing our behavior in a way that's safe. Now, it's not because grocery stores are, are open. It's not because people can get takeout or go to their office in a socially distanced way, that this is spreading. It's spreading because people are getting together in large groups in reckless manner. And that has got to stop.
1: But won't that take mandates?
0: I think in our society, that's a last Step and obviously, some very conservative governors in Texas and in Florida are taking those steps now. They are halting or pausing the reopening. They are closing down some beaches, perhaps closing down certain types of businesses like bars. And look, it may come to that here, but I do know I've been talking with Governor Kemp's team. He is loath to strangle small businesses in a way that would be fatal, fatal for many of them.
2: Dennis, you may remember when we talked about this about a month ago, I said on this podcast that we got to be very careful that we don't start celebrating too soon. And if we're not careful, we will be in a similar position than some of our uh, neighboring states like Florida. What Brian just basically shared with us is exactly, I think, where Georgia is got to really consider Taking some really serious steps to not get to a point where we see Florida and Texas and other states going. So I think the economic argument from the GOP has really been diluted, Dennis, with the alarming numbers that we're seeing in here in Georgia. And the other thing that's very concerning to me is yes, you do want to commend the governor for wearing his mask, but there are some other things that he could possibly consider. Brian, said something that was very true. He could also look at the possibility of capping occupancy again, requiring that masks be mandatory in some areas, not just suggesting it. There's also things that I think that he can do by holding a lot of these businesses more accountable to encourage and if not make it mandatory for their customers to wear these masks. So the thing that I think that is so concerning is also the data that we're receiving right now is still has a two week lag. So what we're the data we're getting right now in Georgia is data from roughly two weeks ago. When we're on this podcast in another two weeks, Dennis, we just don't know how bad it's really going to be. And so it's not solely left up to our elected officials to fix this problem. It's left up to us as Georgians to do our part as well. But I do think that we have got to seriously consider not shutting the state down again, but we've got to seriously consider, are there some different policies that we can either reintroduce or reinforce, or are there some new policies that the governor and the local leaders can come together on to try to basically help flatten the the numbers and the curve?
0: But let me say here, when we went into lockdown, we had millions, tens of millions of jobs lost, and since the reopening, job numbers came out on Thursday, showing that the unemployment rate is going down, that jobs are being recreated. So the, the, the idea that what we're doing is worse for the economy is not supported by data. Now that is not. But the-
1: Brian, the jobs data though is data that was collected about two weeks before the figures were released, so it doesn't reflect the effect of the latest jump in cases in many parts of the country but
0: there's not a direct immediate correlation between a jump in cases and a decrease in unemployment. So I don't think there's any reason to believe that they are substantively different from two weeks ago. I'm not downplaying the impact of the coronavirus on the economy if these cases continue to spike, I am not. I'm just saying that a lockdown like what we had before, when today we have more data, we have more information, no more, is not the right way to go.
1: Theron, the questions about Governor Kemp's strategy have given Democrats an avenue to criticize him, and they have certainly taken advantage of it. But how careful do they have to be here, again, from a political point of view? They don't want to be seen as hoping for bad outcomes so they can make him look bad.
2: I don't think the Democrats are hoping for a bad outcome. No, I'm saying
1: should they, they need to avoid the perception, don't they?
2: What Democrats have got to do is continue to be very specific in their messaging and just really, quite frankly, encourage people to use common sense. You can attack the governor and say that he could be doing more or, you know, definitely there's so much that Democrats can say about the inconsistency of the data the lack of transparency of the data, where I think it really boils down to is that if you are a Republican right now and you're mad at Democrats for saying things that they should be saying, which is really encouraging people to wear masks, encouraging people to wash their hands, encouraging people to stay home. Unless they absolutely need to be out and also encouraging people to show some distance, then those Republicans who are mad at Democrats for just saying that are just, I think, somewhat clueless about what's really happening uh, in our state. And so but the Democrats do have to be careful because they have to make sure that they now are back in their districts, particularly the, the uh, state reps and the state senators. And they have to basically be able to work with the state departments and the governor's office to make sure that they're getting real time information and that they're working in conjunction with the state to bring the the solutions. But I would tell you this, Dennis, this COVID-19 is nonpartisan. It's killing Republicans. It's killing Democrats. It's killing independents. And again, you've heard me say this week after week that it's disproportionately killing black and brown and poor people. And so, you know, again, I think if we just take politics out of it, our leaders are definitely trying to do what they can with the resources that they have at their disposal to try to keep Georgians safe.
1: On that subject, Aaron, Savannah Mayor Van Johnson was the first to defy the governor's ban on local governments imposing stricter measures than those set out by the state. In Savannah now, you have to wear a mask when you go out in public. Theron, will Atlanta's mayor follow suit? I know Mayor Van
2: Johnson personally. What he has done is showing incredible leadership here. He clearly understands the science and what it's going to take to protect the people of Savannah. What Mayor Johnson has done, I think other mayors are going to have to look at very closely to see if that will work in their cities. I'm not sure that Mayor Bottoms will go to a mandatory executive order to require people in Atlanta to wear masks. However, if you look at what she was able to do this week, she put forth some executive orders and actually renewed a few of them that still encourages the social distancing, encouraging people to wear masks and doing what she can to make sure that her solutions are sensible, but also uh, erring on the side of the data, which she's been very vocal about. But I think what Mayor Johnson has done to just keep keep eye on this guy, Dennis, he's a rock star. He is definitely going to have a bright future in Georgia politics. But what he is doing in an area in our state that requires tourism, that relies on tourism, relies on a lot of this economic empowerment and values to come from outside the city. This was a bold step. But I think ultimately, he's going to come out on the right side of this.
1: Brian, Governor Kemp, at least as we speak, has not taken any action against Savannah. But does he have the option of saying, okay, especially in densely populated areas with high case numbers, local leaders can have some latitude to do what they think is necessary. In other words, can he ease his ban on their options a little? Yes, legally
0: I think he can do that. I think what he's doing is fairly obvious. His executive order earlier in the year superseded any local orders. Of course, Mayor Bottoms here in Atlanta pushed back fairly vocally on that, saying that there should be local control. But what you're seeing here is the order hasn't changed, but you don't see Governor Kemp calling out Mayor Johnson over the mask mandate. He's signaling something there, right? Uh, One, he doesn't want to be in the middle of a PR imbroglio where He's seen as the guy who is throwing caution to the wind, where he is seen as the person who is against safety measures, which is how the media would portray it if he took that stand. It doesn't matter how he tries to couch it. It doesn't matter how smartly he approaches it. That would be how the media would spin it. So he's wisely sort of staying on the sidelines. And what he is signaling there is to other local officials, whether they be county commission chairmen or mayors, that if this is something that you need to do in your community, I'm not going to say anything. Yes, you are going to be outside of the boundaries of the order, but we're going to just have a wink and a nod here.
1: Well, it's interesting that you say that because our colleagues in the WABE newsroom did a survey of some local mayors and they got different responses on whether there should be mask wearing kind of ordinances, but there was a really sharp pushback at the governor from John Ernst, the mayor of the town where you live, Brian, Brookhaven.
0: Yeah, yeah, my mayor, yeah. And, and look, that's great, right? I mean, that's the give and take of our politics. Mayors of these cities don't answer to the governor. They're not appointed by the governor. They represent their constituencies, and their constituency may have a different viewpoint, may have a different need than the rest of the state. So I love having this public debate. I mean, I love it. Let's continue having it because look, we are, to use a cliche, in this together. We are all gonna be hurt if this continues to spread. So let's come together and find solutions to stop the spread in ways that don't destroy our economy.
2: Dennis, let's talk about what's going on in our country right now. It's probably also happening in Georgia. It just hasn't been caught on tape or video. We are seeing a tremendous amount of resistance from citizens who are refusing to wear masks in public places that require them to wear masks. So I think what we're trying to really avoid here, to, to Brian's point about we're all in this together, we're trying to avoid an incident that will erupt because you have people in the city of Atlanta and in Georgia particularly who don't want to wear that mask partly because they may have medical reasons or whatever they don't want to wear that mask. But it's also they see a president, Dennis, that refuses, not that he just doesn't want to, he refuses to wear a mask. So at least Governor Kemp is wearing his mask. And so what these mayors and CEO Thurman is doing with his "Cold Red initiative, he is trying to reinforce a message that many people are trying to enforce, and that is, let's be safe. Let's protect others. Let's protect our children. Let's protect yourself. What Mayor Ernst and others are doing now is that they're on the ballot and they're going to be judged just like the governor by the people that they serve. And so I think you're going to see a city by city, county by county sort of evaluation of what they can do to really try to encourage people to wash their hands, to socially distance and to wear masks. But I think that what we're seeing all across the country on the videos, and I guarantee you it's probably going on here in Georgia. We just haven't seen it is a flat out rebellion from some people who are refusing to follow the rules in public places to wear their masks. And that's what I want to try to avoid here in, in Georgia.
1: And real quickly, just to sum up, from both of you, do you expect to see more local leaders follow what Mayor Johnson did in Savannah and impose local mask-wearing requirements? And do you expect, possibly if the numbers continue to rise, that the governor may eventually at least consider that for the state?
2: I think one thing to really be noted here, Dennis, is in Savannah— When you're sighted without wearing a mask for our listeners, you will be provided with a mask. And so I want to make sure that our listeners don't think, and and I know Mayor Johnson, if he was listening right now, he would want me to make this point, that if they see you in the city of Savannah without wearing a mask, the people will, uh, police officers, emergency management, everyone, public safety officials will provide a mask for you. If you refuse to take the mask, or if you are seen again without the face covering, then you will be fined $500. And so if you give an opportunity for people to say, hey, you maybe just don't have one because we don't want to do here, Dennis, is that we don't want to punish the people who can't afford a mask or who don't have access to a mask. That's why you saw Cap County CEO Michael Thurman actually give out tens of thousands of masks. But if you're refusing to wear the mask or if you've seen again without wearing a mask, and I think the $500 fine is something that's going to get people's attention. I do believe you will see other cities, if not adopt exactly what Savannah has done, you'll probably see a more watered down or more stronger ordinance in place.
0: Yeah, I would expect that we're going to see some more local officials
2: speak out, maybe
0: because they think it's a good policy, maybe because they see an opportunity to raise their profile And I would say, as a communications advisor, that it is a great way to raise your profile. The media is going to eat up local officials who take a stand slightly different or in contradiction to what the governor has ordered. So I do think people are going to begin to look at local measures as the spread continues. And you're going to see some tipping points, right? If some of our hospitals begin to fill up, and there are reports in other states of capacity getting close to full with patients who are under 30 now, which is concerning. I do think that there'll be a response, and uh, you know maybe Georgia's just not quite there yet. But it looks like we're on the trajectory to be there.
1: And do you think the governor will reconsider the idea statewide if those? bad things happen that you just talked about.
0: I think we're going to see the governor return to communicating consistently about this issue now that some other fairly dramatic issues have moved to the back burner. So I leave open the possibility that he is going to remain nimble, he's going to remain flexible and willing to adapt Georgia's policies to the needs of the moment. You know, when he did what he did, he took a beating nationwide i mean he was just put on a on a stick and uh, roasted on a fire you know about how bad georgia was going to be and well in fact georgia has not been as bad as as other states and his motivation for taking the heat for leading to reopen our economy was he was getting calls every day from small business people saying this is an existential threat to my business i will lose everything that i have worked my entire life for and that's not just an emotional argument it is a factual argument and it's one that would do damage not just to those business owners but to all of us because it would hurt our our tax base it would hurt our business climate so i know the governor's going to tread very carefully and he's going to keep in mind the needs of businesses to survive but i don't think he's put himself in a box here i think he's got the ability to change policy.
2: Dennis, two, two quick things. What I want to say about this whole economy message from the GOP, what's happening now in Georgia is that businesses are going to close down again. So I guarantee you by the time we are on this podcast next week, you're going to see probably 20% or more of businesses just in the Atlanta metro area that are going to be forced to close down because their workers will have been tested positive for COVID-19 or someone who visited a restaurant is positive with COVID-19. So this economy message is got to be revisited because a lot of these restaurants and businesses are going to be closed down. Secondly, let's not, you got to do this because you know, I grew up in Athens. I didn't go to the University of Georgia. Brian did, but we're both huge Georgia Bulldogs fans. Let's not also neglect what the governor said this week. He basically sent a strong message to a lot of uh, people like Brian, who are season ticket holders and get a chance to hang out in the suites at the football game. <laughs> is He said that if you don't wear your mask... And start doing it sooner than later, then you can forget the possibility of you actually attending a Georgia football game this this season. I thought that was very witty and very smart of the governor to really go into not only just the heart of his base, but to really know how many Georgia Bulldog fans are out there that are hoping that they can physically watch in the stadium this year a Georgia football game.
0: Absolutely, Theron. Go dogs! And I tell you, that was amongst the first news I saw on Wednesday morning and it certainly hit me pretty hard. And Governor Kemp knows his audience, right? A lot of the folks who are the most resistant to these mandates like the mask and social distancing look a lot like the folks who fill those 93,000 seats on those glorious fall Athens Saturdays.
1: And the governor faces a lot of decisions about other things, He has signed a very tough state budget, but there are some other bills that he'll have to sign or veto that are definitely going to get a lot of attention. We'll get into all of that and more when the political breakfast continues. Stay right here. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free? Good news. And we are back with The Political Breakfast. Pleasure to have your company. I'm Dennis O'Hare with Republican strategist Brian Robinson and Democratic strategist Theron Johnson. This week marked the start of a new and very tough fiscal year for the state. The governor signed the new $26 billion budget, which includes cuts totaling $2.2 billion. Theron, nearly $1 billion of those cuts came in K-12 education, it's also the biggest item in the budget every year, so it would get the biggest cuts. But this is quite a change from the start of the session, when there was a lot of talk about pay raises for teachers and how the state would fund those.
2: Even though the cuts are somewhat less than originally estimated, and we got to start by there, right? Because when we first start talking about the upcoming session, you know, reconvening of the session, we were talking about a lot of cuts. And so They were somewhat less than originally estimated, but we're still taking nearly a billion dollars away from K through 12 education. And, you know, we had finally got back to a point where we could fully fund it again. And so I think going forward, to be fair to the governor and to be fair to the speaker and lieutenant governor as well, there was an outstanding commitment from the governor during his campaign which he began to honor once he was able to enter into his first session so for our listeners i think the commitment still is there the governor definitely worked very hard to try to get a portion of the teacher pay raises that he promised and was i think on a pathway to doing that again had COVID 19 not happened. but what is really concerning to me dennis is is this going to be the new cycle in georgia Would this be nine years of an insufficient budget? We can't keep paying for the present by crippling our future. And I think our students and our teachers deserve better. But the other thing that I think is going to come up during the off months of the session is whether or not our tax rate is too low there are billions of dollars in the tax breaks and loopholes that could be reduced or fixed. And so I do think that Democrats are going to have to start having some of these conversations with Republicans. Can we revisit the whole tax cuts? Can we look at our tax rate? And also, how do we work together to make sure that K through twelve education is fully funded
1: in Georgia. And Brian, there are two points that Theron just raised that I was going to get to immediately. Let's take one of them. Doesn't this again raise the question of whether that income tax rate cut that was passed two years ago made any sense at all in the long run?
0: I don't know that lower taxes is a bad thing for our people or our economy during a recession. And look, I, I do think what the recession has done what the budget crunch has done is stall any effort to lower it further. I don't think you're going to see that discussed in 2021 and probably not in 2022 because it's going to be a slow uplift out of this recession. And even after our economy is humming again, the revenues to the state are a lagging indicator. So they'll be coming in after the economy gets going. So look, I don't think cutting taxes is a bad idea. I think that For now, though, we're going to keep it where it is.
1: It may be second guessing kind of after the fact, of course, but do you think there are regrets about passing that tax rate cut two years ago?
0: I can tell you I was at the Capitol a good bit during the two weeks of the uh, last uh, days and actually had the chance to sit numerous times with the Senate Appropriations Chairman Blake Tillery, who's a good friend of mine. But I never once heard him say, you know, the problem here is our taxes aren't high enough.
1: The other point that Theron raised was that this is another year where the state has not fully funded the school system based on the quality basic education formula, which dates back to the early 80s. And certainly one can understand why it's happening this year. But Brian, you well know that Governor Deal was able to fully fund the QBE formula at least toward the end of his term. But these cuts this year are coming on top of a school budget that is short to begin with. What's this going to mean long-term for a state that wants to attract business and maintain that number one place to do business with an educated workforce?
0: Look, 53% of this budget goes toward public education. We make a tremendous investment in our schools and our children, and this budget doesn't change that. The QBE formula is a standard, but as with most standards, it is an arbitrary standard. Yes, Governor Deal fully funded the QBE formula in his latter years in office when our budget was robust, when our economy was doing fantastic. Well, let us not forget that in, from 2011 uh, through and through his reelect, we we never fully funded QBE because we were coming out of the recession. Now, as legislators pointed out, the good years that we've had allow local districts to build up their rainy day funds, just as Georgia built its up to three billion dollars under Governor Deal, and because of Governor Deal's willingness to not spend every dollar that he was being asked to spend, we are going to be able to get through this year without near the pain that we would have had if we didn't have these reserves. And look, this is another one of those moments when we don't get everything we want, but we've got to be responsible and still prioritize. Education It's still the majority of spending. It just can't be everything everybody wants. That is the budget reality in a deeper recession.
1: Theron, lawmakers did pass a bill to address Georgia's high rate of maternal and infant mortality, and this would extend Medicaid to new mothers from two months to six months after birth, and they approved funding for that, too. But do you expect now that Democrats will continue to push for full Medicaid expansion, or do they realistically think they'll get it?
2: Yes, they will continue to push for it, and they will ultimately get it. This was a bipartisan effort. And Dennis, thank you so much for bringing this up, because it really hasn't gotten a lot of press, because a lot of us were focused on hate crimes bill passing. This is a big step forward, and the actual fight is not over. These were women, and there were some men, but particularly women, who led this charge to really make sure that we address the rate of maternal mortalities that are happening in our state. Georgia is the worst, and particularly it is affecting poor women, women of color. Good first step forward, but I do think we're going to come back and really explore options to make sure that Medicaid is able to fully fund these mothers that need it the most in Georgia.
1: Brian, the governor has been working on a waiver plan, a kind of modified Medicaid expansion. Where is that right now, and do you think that this will accelerate his effort on that?
0: You've seen a pretty dramatic move amongst Republicans on programs that are
1: affiliated
0: with Obamacare. You're looking at the governor pushing a Medicaid expansion waiver plan, which means there'll be a more limited plan than the full Obamacare Medicaid expansion. But that's what the Republicans did and what the General Assembly did. As as, Bar- as Barron pointed out, it was a bipartisan effort. If Georgia did have bad maternal mortality numbers, and they looked at the data and they saw that many of these mothers who don't have coverage outside of Medicaid and therefore did not get the health care they needed to get through this challenging time after the birth of their children, that now they're going to have that coverage for longer. Now, as the speaker has pointed out, it would be great if we could cover them even longer. That was not a budget reality at this moment. But the speaker said, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And he's absolutely right. This is progress. And hopefully what it means is that we're going to have Georgia mothers who are going to have healthy births and then are able to get the health care they need to stay healthy during the first year of their child's life. And that would be a major improvement over where we've been. And you're seeing Republican voters change on this all over. Oklahoma is a much more red, more Republican state than Georgia and voters there passed Medicaid expansion in a referendum this week by a narrow margin, but still nevertheless, it passed. I have my concerns about Medicaid expansion. I have my concerns about the structure of Obamacare uh, as being unsustainable, but for Georgia's interest, I don't understand how we wouldn't make an investment of $500 million if we were getting $50 billion in return for it. It just doesn't make sense mathematically. We do not operate outside of the American system. And even if we don't like Obamacare, we are still Americans. And if that's the system that's been set up and we are penalized and hurt for acting outside of the system, I think for the benefit of Georgians and our economy, we should be in the system and get our $50 billion over 10 years. Uh, That would be huge as far as doctor retention. It'd be huge in keeping open our rural and safety net hospitals and making sure that doctors who are getting zero compensation for their care of the indigent are getting at least something. So that's where I am. Maybe I'm far outside of the mainstream, but the data I'm seeing shows Republicans are moving toward my direction on this.
1: And Brian, the legislature decided not to cut a million dollars from the appellate office of the state's public defender system, But that office is already being dismantled anyway. The state's bound to get sued over this. Even from a financial point of view, how smart a move was this? And then, of course, there's the overall question of how just it is, given how difficult it is for some folks who are charged with crimes to afford representation.
0: This is an issue that just never seems to go away. Uh, The fact is we're never going to have all the resources that we would need to have a robust public defender system. And uh, we've had some really great leaders over in that department. Uh, My good friend, Brian Tyson, who actually shares office space with me now, uh, webbed that over much of the deal administration and did a fantastic job of making it whole. And yes, Dennis, if we skirt it too much, there is a balance, but we must strike there. We will get sued and more than likely we will lose. So, it's something we've got to be cognizant of. uh, But at the same time, let's understand in a budget cutting scenario, in a state budget where you have a balanced budget every year, any cuts are going to hit muscle. Any cuts. So, there's no easy choices. I I hate to see that happen, but
2: it is what it is. I agree with Brian. This is something that we have been talking about on this podcast for a long time, and it's been a discussion for years, I think at the end of the day, you're going to see Republicans and Democrats come together to make sure that we not only fully fund our our public defender's office, but make sure, as Brian mentioned, people like Brian Tyson and others will have all the support they need to make sure um, that the people of Georgia are receiving the service.
1: Moving to a bill that we talked about a little bit in the last few moments, we also talked in our last podcast about the new hate crimes law, but part of that deal that allowed it to pass in that form was the passage of another, a separate bill, which its sponsor said would protect police officers and other first responders. It's House Bill 838. It would set up penalties for people who commit crimes crimes against first responders. Now, Brian, there was a protest against this bill outside the governor's mansion this week, and it might sound odd, but the American Civil Liberties Union is even arguing that this bill could actually reduce penalties in some cases where people kill officers. Did the legislature, in its haste to put a deal together on the hate crimes bill, pass this other bill without looking at perhaps unintended consequences.
0: Let me give you the reality on that bill. It is an important protection for our first responders, not just law enforcement. And here's the political reality. The hate crimes bill that we're all heralding now would not have passed in the state Senate more than likely unless it had been coupled with this legislation to appeal to conservative members in the senate and i would say it was appealing to conservative members in the house too because the hate crimes bill passed by a much larger margin this time than it did in 2019 in the house so it goes to show you that this was an important lubricant in the legislative process to get this done if there is an issue if there are unintended consequences with this legislation we have a chance in january to get it fixed the space in between the sessions this year is much shorter than it normally is. So there's an opportunity to go in there and tinker with it and get it to the right place and to remove any unintended consequences. But I don't understand what anybody would be against. Adding penalties for violent offenses against our first responders. I think it is common sense.
2: <sighs> this one was was very uh, interesting, but Since we've gotten through the kumbaya moment uh, in Georgia with with this bill, this could possibly be a low point for Republicans. This is viewed by some that this bill is equating the systemic violence and racism that Black people experience with the sort of problems of hate crimes against police. Again, this is not me saying it. I'm only reporting with some of the feedback we've seen. And so what these protesters are doing now by protesting the governor's mention is that, again, it's always a lot of things that happens in a very short period of a legislative session. And so I do think, to Brian's point, you do have some time. It's on the governor's desk. You know, as we tape, he has not signed it. Not sure when he's, if if he's planning to sign it. But this was definitely a part of the process, whether you like it or not, of getting the hate crimes legislation passed. And so, you know, you have groups like NAACP, call it the police hate crimes bill. And so the conversation is going to have to be had is how do we not only protect citizens going forward, but also how do we make sure we create legislation to make sure our police officers and our public safety officials are
1: protected as well. As we speak, the governor, as Theron mentioned, has not decided on whether to sign or veto this bill. Quickly from both of you, if there are unintended consequences in this bill... Is the governor in a position of either having to veto it and face blowback or sign it and perhaps deal with unintended consequences for law enforcement officers? Brian, I'll start with you.
0: Well, I think at this juncture, they're going to go through a a stringent legal review and see if those objections are actually accurate. Now, my experience of being in bill review in the governor's office during the years I was there there's not always one legal interpretation of how these things are going to play out. And we see that every day in court rulings and lawyer talking heads. So let's see if they agree. Look, if they feel like this has negative unintended consequences, he's got political cover to veto it and then issue a statement alongside of it saying, I will put this on my agenda in 2021 to get it passed. Here are the amendments that I'd like to see to it to meet legal muster and to Move these problems. So there's a safe political path for him if he decides to move away from this. But, you know, let's see what his lawyers think.
2: I think Brian just really took us inside the room with the process that the governor and his team will go through. You're going to have the legal pathway that is going to be presented to him, but also you're going to have the political slash climate pathway. And I think that the governor's team are really going to have to consider once he gets the legal response and what he can do from his legal team, he's also got to look at the political realities that we're in right now in our state at a time when we have made some progress. Do we really want to go ahead and sign this bill, which is clearly going to create more chaos? And so I think that he's going to have to really depend upon his gut on this one, but also his legal and his political advisors are going to earn their paychecks to try to help him get through this um, the best way that he can.
1: And finally, back to elections. The state legislature scuttled the elections bill that had that amendment in it. We talked about it in our last podcast. It would have banned state or local officials from mailing out absentee ballots to voters, as Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger did during the primaries. Theron, can you take us inside and give us an idea of what happened there? Uh, why that bill was sent back to committee and allowed to die quietly.
2: You know, I think that maybe secretly Brian called some of his good friends over it the Secretary of State's office, or maybe Secretary of State Raffensburger and others talked to the legislators in this committee and really just just knew that based on the debacle that we just experienced on June 9th, that this was probably not the right direction to go in. And so I do think you're going to see a lot more conversations in our state about the pathway forward, because we do have a runoff that's coming up in Fulton counties and all across the state. And so we got to make sure that we get this right going into November.
1: And Brian, come November, the turnout will be bigger. The pandemic might still be around. The state elections board did vote to continue those drop boxes at local elections offices. But What else do you think the Secretary of State can do if he has already said, I'm not going to mail out those absentee ballot applications anymore?
0: The fact that we're not mailing out 7 million, I didn't say that wrong, 7 million absentee ballot requests at a time when we are cutting all these important programs that you've asked me about over the last hour, Dennis, is not outrageous. The fact is there's nobody. In this state, none of those 7 million people can't go online and request an absentee ballot and have it sent to them. But not everybody
1: has online access. That's such a
0: canard. They can also send in their mail to their local voting office and get an absentee ballot request that way, the way that they always have. There is no reason why somebody who needs to vote absentee can't or doesn't that pathway is there i hope to see many people continue to take that pathway to reduce the number of people who show up for early voting and election day voting but absentee ballot is there it is easy to get and this whole thing that we're not going to do this mass mailing which we did in an emergency when we were moving the election dates when we had all of this uncertainty um, around COVID, that we need to do that again, as if that's the new normal, that's the new status quo, is ridiculous. People now have more time to get ready. They have more time to order their ballots. Do it. Just do it. You don't need him to mail you something. Now, if he does, great. That's still something that's open to him, but he said he's not going to do that, and I don't think he's wrong.
1: Quick yes or no from you guys then to wrap up. Do we run the risk of seeing whether because of the absentee ballot changes or not, do we run the risk of seeing huge lines come November in the middle of a pandemic?
2: I think the enthusiasm on the Democratic side is enormous right now, Dennis. We are going to see record-breaking turnout in Georgia to not only elect Joe Biden as the next president of the United States of America, but to make sure that we try to pick up at least one of these US Senate seats in Georgia.
0: The enthusiasm is just as strong on the Republican side. In fact, I think in polling, you see that the Republican enthusiasm for reelecting Trump is higher than the Democratic enthusiasm for electing Biden. That's, that could very well be an important data point in Georgia where it's so tight right now. That said, you're seeing the state take dramatic efforts right now to make sure that we have enough polling locations. You know, we had to reduce. The number last time because of a lack of workforce we had to combine some and we were trying a new voting system for the first time we are going to emphasize training at those precincts very heavily over the next few months we're going to make sure the voters are educated on where they need to go vote there's going to be a robust effort that said i think we're going to do everything we can to make election day voting go smoothly but the onus is on many of us who have the wherewithal and the knowledge to go online as I mentioned and order your absentee ballot and vote that way to reduce pressure on the system and hopefully the Fulton County officials can get their act together and be able to actually send the absentee ballots that people request that was what drove a lot of the election day problems that we had people didn't get them and then had to go stand in line and then fill out forms explaining they didn't get their absentee ballots so There are some local problems that need to be fixed, but we're on the right
1: path. And that's it for this week's Political Breakfast. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm Dennis O'Hare. Brian Robinson is a Republican strategist, communications consultant, and former deputy chief of staff for Governor Nathan Deal. Democratic strategist Theron Johnson is a public affairs and government consultant and former national southern regional director for the Obama 2012 campaign. Gentlemen, thanks so much. All the best to your families, and happy 4th.
0: Thank you, Dennis. Happy 4th of July.
1: And you can follow us on Twitter. Brian is at Lord Tinsdale. That's T-I-N-S-D-A-L-E. Theron is at Theron Johnson. And I'm at D-E-N-I-S-O-H-A-Y-E-R. And don't forget our podcast with up-to-the-minute information on the coronavirus. It's called Did You Wash Your Hands? Sam Whitehead is your host. And if you like this show, subscribe. And you can do that wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to rate us. That's a great way to make sure other people can find us. Our thanks to Stephen Key for his production assistance, and we'll be back in your feed soon and in your head, too, with more nourishing political conversation. Be sure to join us and have a great and a safe week.
2: From WABE Studios, the podcast where they read stories is a new children's storytelling podcast featuring notable Atlantans and performers reading classic and contemporary children's books. Each episode contains a story meant to entertain, inspire, and inform young listeners. No screens required. The podcast where they read stories features adaptations from both chapter books and picture books. Join us at wabe.org slash stories podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E.